defends from dummy half. It's with the halfback, Williams. Williams goes himself, comes out the other side, gets it to Croker, bounces away from a would-be from De Goyce, puts a kick out wide, looking for Shander Earl, and Earl is in again. Oh, stop it, it's starting to hurt. Rugby league. Rugby league. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Supercoach Playbook podcast. I'm your host, Tim Williams. To talk me through the postponed season and all the Supercoach implications is the Supercoach Spy. Spy, how are you handling the break? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Um, just surviving at the moment, but nothing too much for myself to complain about. Obviously, though, very, very keen for the footy to get back and, and all the other sports. Um but mate, just buzzing and really looking forward to get back into it after that opening week for myself. Pretty quiet and slow opening, so I just want to make up for things, mate. And I haven't had the chance at the moment, so I'm busting to go. Yeah, nice, mate. What have you been doing to get through it? I've managed to. I played a bit of tennis. Singles tennis is still allowed up here in uh, oh, in New South Wales, anyway. So that's been good, and just swimming a little bit at the beach um, as the sun goes down. To be honest, mate, that's about it. Can't do anything else, really. So that's that's just keeping me ticking over until we get back to normal. Yeah, nice, mate. I've uh, still been having a, a punt on these sad days with the racing still going somehow. Absolutely stoked about it. Um, San Ranalane was my most profitable horse of all time. I got it in its first two two group ones, about 15 or 20 bucks. I have not jaded any of its wins since. It's really starting to do a number on me. Did a number on me again in the last day of the uh, Sydney Autumn Carnival. So happy to be done with that. Get a bit of money back in the pocket. Uh, I've also been watching a few of the Costa Zoo old classic fights on Fox Sports. And in the back corner of nearly all of these fights has been the great man Laurie Nichols, legendary Bowman Tiger supporter, who is actually a relative of mine. He's a... Uh, my mum's maiden name is Nichols, so not too far away from there. He's a little bit old for me, and unfortunately he died in, in the year 2000, just before the merger with West Tigers, with them playing their first round. Crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, love the bloke, though. Anyway, on tonight's episode, we're going to talk about the implications of the May 28 return date that's been set up recently. Hopefully, we're, we're all pretty optimistic we're going to get there, and the declining numbers look like we're a decent chance at that. Talk about a few big news stories in rugby league from the last from the last week or two that are going to have massive Supercoach implications. We'll analyse another four clubs and their rosters going into round three, being the Roosters, Cowboys, Dogs and Titans. On next week's podcast, well, hopefully next week, it won't be too far away, 2019 champ and runner-up, Des Creek and Wilson Carlos, have had a lot of requests to talk about how they went about their season uh, a lot of the key moves they made, what tactics they did. So they're going to put together a podcast, possibly a two-parter, um, about how that all came about. So that'll be a really vital listening. And they've got a crazy, crazy story about how their, their season unfolded last year. So it'll be good listening. Spite, let's start with the May 28 return date. Lot to discuss here. We'll try not to keep this bit too long. But with the season looking like... It'll probably be everyone playing each other once, meaning I think what thirteen more, thirteen or fourteen more rounds. Um, we can get a bit of idea and grasp of how Supercoach is going to look on return. Um, I, I'm assuming the bye weekends are going to be merged into one round, so bye planning becomes irrelevant, which is unprecedented for Supercoach. It just changes everything. All those poor Supercoaches who went big on by planning for round one, you know, it's a kick in the butt for them. But, look, there's nothing you can do about it. It is what it is. Um, mate, 
it's going to change a lot of things. Uh, how do you see things unfolding? Yeah, the biggest one you've already mentioned, mate, the buy planning, um, which, look, it's probably not a dagger to anyone as such. It might have hurt you a little bit more if you have gone hard on players that were meant to play that round 12 initial buy. I'm in one of the lucky ones that I didn't go too hard on it this year myself, uh, just the way my side ended up panning out. So that's a bit of a positive personally. Um, but the thing that hurts me and probably many others is I haven't got off to a super hot start in the opening weeks. And all of a sudden now I've got all these less rounds to catch up and really make a run. I sort of pride myself on second half of the season, really, really steaming home once I get my side in good nick. Um, and that's going to be much harder to do this year. But look, mate, that's that's one of the challenges and everyone's in the same boat. So it might just mean taking a few more risks this year and look, it could open up a bit of fun and make for some very entertaining viewing. Yeah, absolutely. The way one of the other big implications is going to be how Origin is scheduled for the season, which we don't know yet. The information shouldn't be too, too far away. Hopefully we get in coming weeks. But, I mean, you, you'd find it hard to think that they'll be standalone weekends like we've seen in the past, meaning there's going to be guys who could be playing as many as three games in five or six days. Um, so all your origin players who you do have or would look to be getting in, when that new, new roster or the new season draw comes out, we're going to have to look so closely at this because – Although coaches are going to have a tendency not to rest players because every game is so vital in an abbreviated season, there's going to be, I mean, they're only human. They're not going to play three games in five or six days. So you, you can Munsters, you Nathan Cleary's, these guys. So we'll do a bigger uh, dissection of the draw when it comes out and look at these guys because it's going to have a massive impact on, on your draw. And a guy that I'm looking at and that comes to mind is Cam Munster, who did a bit of research on the Storm today and Munster, who, who's flopped in the first two weeks of the year, well, you probably don't – you'd be tempted not to sell him. But if it does look like he's going to miss games around Origin now, well, maybe you would with that massive break even. What do you reckon? Yeah, well, you've walked me straight into my star signing at 5'8 this year, Cam Munster. <laughs> I was big on him, and I still am big on him. But as you said, if Origin's mid-season with shorter turnarounds, then there is a 100 million percent chance that Bellamy will rest Munster at some stage and possibly more than usual, which hurts me. But as I, the thing is, we can still sell him on. So hope to get some value out of him and some points up until that origin period and then let him go and look to bring him back for the back end if you want to do that. But the other thing in my mind is that origin could possibly end the season this year after the grand final. It's one of the, the concepts being floated about, in which case origin players become hyper valuable because you won't have that that sort of fear of being rested or being worn out from the state of origin period. So whichever way they end up doing the draw is going to be enormous. And as you said, we'll have to have a huge dissection of things once we know what's going on. Yeah, for sure. And we, we have touched on in the last couple of weeks, but I mean, with the shortened season, um, player management is not going to be as an injury management. Isn't going to be as big an issue in a shortened season. So I don't think, there's going to be too many players getting rested unless there's a team four or six points out in front come around, 13 or 14 or 15, whatever it is. So someone like Cam Smith, who Craig Bellamy already came out and said that he wanted to give Smith a rest at different times this year and, you know, you'd expect late in the year, provided the Storm are going gung-ho. 
Cam Smith isn't going to get rested in a shortened season, you wouldn't think, which the way Damien Cook started the year not running too much and Smith's been solid as ever, um, you know, Smith becomes super valuable once again. Massively. Smith's, I was big on Smith before the news, but he gets even more valuable with a, with a shortened season because he's hard enough to pull off the paddock at the best of times, let alone when there's seven or eight or ten less rounds. So he should be playing the majority of footy, you'd, you'd think. Yeah, and lastly on this, pods are going to become massive. And I say that because with no buy planning, there's not a heap of strategy, I don't think. Um, it's it's pretty well get the best 17 you can get as quick as you can, which means there's going to be a lot of very similar teams. Like, I mean, even in the past, head-to-head players will do have that strategy from round one anyway. Um, overall players don't. Overall players are now basically playing like head-to-head players. So when we've got all these lineups that are so similar, if you can snatch like a really valuable gun pod, um, it, it'll be enormous this year. Yeah, I think... The pod this year, centres could be enormous. Uh, there's quite a lot of value in the centres, and it's hard to pick who the top four are going to be. So if you can nail your centres and maybe get, get a lower-owned guy that really explodes, then that could really, really set you up for the year. Yeah, and a guy who, like, we, we sort of assumed, even though it might be a slow starter, but Latrell Mitchell is probably going to finish the year as the number one centre wing option uh, with his move to fullback, or even if he was playing centre, now, you know, not kicking goals, he struggled big time the first few rounds. As you said, that centre wing is just wide open. So, look, it's, it's so exciting. It's a unique return we're going to get. Um, so it's going to be a just a helter-skelter 13, 14 rounds. I can't wait for it. So let's hope they get gone on May 28. A couple of big bits of news during the week. Number one being John Bateman, who everyone expected to be back from injury. Uh, he's had a delay in his return from shoulder surgery. He's had a few complications and the shoulder's not responding as expected. He's now very unlikely to be available for May 28, uh, which is huge for the Raiders, the NRL in general, um, but even bigger for Supercoach because you've got Corey Horsburgh and you've got Joe Capone in there that are both well-owned. I own both of them, who were guys that were looking like losing big minutes. Now with Bateman expecting not to be back, or even if he is back, you'd think he'll be on limited minutes. Um, huge, huge implications. Thoughts? Yeah, definitely one to wait and see if he's named first of all when we return and just to try to get an idea around, around those minutes because, as we know, if he plays 80 minutes, that directly impacts the guys that you just mentioned and probably Emre Gula as well. So once we know what's going to happen there, we'll have more of an idea of things, but... If he was to miss another three or four weeks, then someone like Corey Horsburgh becomes even more valuable. And Emre Gould's money-making potential probably goes up a lot as well. He's got a big break even. It's quite cheap. So it's a huge watch there on what, what happens with the Raiders when we kick back into things. Yeah, it's huge for Emre Gould because based on Bateman being back and Tappany moving back to that middle rotation, or oh, I was expecting him to be a trap. But if there's no Bateman, he'll be a serious buy with that massive negative break even. Um, yeah, huge, huge stuff there. Um, another one, Callum Watkins is headed back to the UK. Um, word is that he's signed with the Toronto Wolfpack who have struggled over there to start the season, their first season in the top flight. What I see happening here is AJ Brimson, will be, Brimson should be back from injury. He'll go to fullback in... He'll yeah, return to fullback, which will push Philip Sammy into Callum Watkins' vacant centre position. But, mate, Watkins was owned by 20% or maybe even more super coaches 
I was so close to getting him after round one, but thankfully didn't. Um, are you an owner, and what are your thoughts there? Not an owner, thankfully. Um, it's a bit of a kick in the guts for the for those that do own him, but it's one of those things. There's nothing you can do about it. It's a crazy world at the moment and this year. Um, it just means you're going to have to burn an extra trade that you haven't planned on this early in the year. Um, it's not going to derail your season by any means, but it's just a bit of a pain in the ass, to be honest. Um, so I'm glad I don't own him. Absolutely. Um, we've been knocking out four teams each week and analysing them. This week, we'll start with the Sydney Roosters, who are 0-2. James Tedesco averaging 62 points, a big break even of 115, which is exactly what we wanted to see. Everyone who didn't go with him from round one at that price, um, he busted out 85 points on the week or on the weekend in round two against Manly with only one line break, which is just obscene numbers. Thoughts on James Tedesco? Teddy Boy is a real world and super coach megastar. Note the use of megastar, not superstar. That's just one tier above. Um, mate, he'll be a target for me as soon as I can get him in. Um, not sure who for yet. Keep a close eye on Ponga and Pappenhausen. My boy Pap, I'm hoping to explode, as I've mentioned previous. But, mate, if Teddy can drop in value a bit, then I think the Roosters will only get better as well once Flanagan and Kiri get a bit more of a combination. Um, mate, he's just, he's a gun. Simple as that. Yeah, Teddy's top of my recruitment list as far as fallen guns go. Uh, and he will be everyone, really. He's the number one priority, I think. So if he can drop to sort of 50K for us, it would be outstanding. But I can also see him getting about 150 on return, which would stuff everything. But regardless, huge. Um, Kyle Flanagan, a guy you were keen on in the preseason. You were worried because he lost kicking duties temporarily to Takiyaho in the World Club Challenge. Um, averaging 38 with just the one try assist, how do you see Flano so far? He's been really solid. Um, very solid base stats. He makes a lot of tackles. He kicks goals. Um, but his involvement hasn't been huge, especially in terms of running the footy. He's only had, I think, two or three runs in the opening couple of weeks. Uh, very hard to accumulate stats doing that. Um, but in saying that, they've been two pretty tightly contested games the Roosters have been involved in. So mate, the potential's there, I think. But in a shortened season, it pulls his appeal back a fair bit. He was one of those guys I thought maybe he could jump on early, make some cash, get some points out of a lower value guy, then upgrade. But um, mate, unless you start it with him now, I think he's probably been bypassed unless he really hits his gears, um, which case you can take a look at that point in time. Yeah, for sure. The two slogathons didn't help him in the opening two weeks. And I'm with you. I can see him being a, a super coach force in the future. Um, in that Nathan Cleary mold where he'll just accumulate points, kick goals in a good team, um, not to clear his level, don't get me wrong, but potentially. But I think you're right. With the abbreviated season, less time to gel with these combinations, so probably one for next year. Um, on to Takiaho. Um, bit of a hard one to get a gauge on. Averaging 57, which is solid enough. Averaging 54 per game, which is okay. Um, he had scores of 66 and 48. There was a try in the 66. Uh, averaging a pretty pretty massive 49 base per game. I was really, really close to getting him start the year, but couldn't fit him in. Uh, what are your thoughts on Siwa? Yeah, I had a big look at Takiaho to start the year. Did write a big article, big article on him to... Basically, look at what he did last year. And when he played, even in limited minutes, gee, he was good. Um, it's on the website if anyone wants to have a look at it. But in short, his tackle busts and offloads haven't really been there in the opening two weeks. Again, that probably comes back to a bit of the slog fest that the Roosters have been involved in. 
But I had, to, had a quick look at last year. He only averaged 48 over the first two rounds last year as well. And from round three onwards, he started to bust tackles, run the footy a little bit more and started to offload. So, mate, he's a massive one for my watch list at the moment. And he's one of those pods that we talk about that if he starts to look good, I may be tempted to take a bit of a flyer on and see if he can do some real damage for me. Yeah, I'm with you. I still really like him. Um, but I'll be waiting and having a look at what else he can brood, produce. Victor Radley is a guy who I wasn't going to bother talking about, but but he's owned by 11%, which is pretty high for, for this time of year. Um, hasn't well, – in round two, he had 64 points in base. He had 37 tackles and 16 runs, 12 of which were over eight metres. Now, I'm not suggesting he's a buy, and you're not going to suggest it either. But what are we seeing here with Radley? Because, you know, we know he's got a pretty good motor on him. We know he can get attacking stats. Is he a guy that can elevate himself into the Supercoach Elite with minutes? Because he's averaging 62 minutes at the moment. Look, we can see him being an 80-minute player in the future. Could he match the Elite or is he not quite going to be there? I love Victor as a footballer. Um, I don't think he can get to the Elite status of Supercoach, but... The thing is, he plays a variety of roles for the Roosters, which probably makes it a little bit harder for him to accumulate those stats. Um, he is probably, for me, the the definition of a guy that is should be on your watch list. Just keep an eye on him, see what he's doing, because the boy can play footy, and if he did, does get that increase in minutes, you never quite know, especially as we note that he's, he's quite a young fella, so he's only going to get better as he grows into his body more and more than, you know, who knows? The potential's there. My prediction's that he won't be an elite guy, but... And I could be wrong because the boy can play. Yeah, and just lastly at the Roosters, Boyd Cordner, you'd have to imagine, will be back from injury on return to season, which will push, well, based on what they did last year, you'd think they'll keep Mitch Orbison on the edge and push Angus Crichton to the middle, playing in that lock sort of role, which would impact Radley big time, um, particularly with Verrills and Friends sharing that hooking role. Um, and could potentially impact Takiaho as well, although probably not as much because he's that bigger, bigger body up front. Moving on to the Cowboys, and Val Holmes is a guy who I had big question marks on to start the season as far as taking up where he left off with Cronulla before his NFL venture. He's hit the ground running, averaging 66 points with just the 22 base per game, which isn't great. Scores have been inflated by... A try, two try assists, two line assists, and one line break, which I sort of look two ways at it. I'm looking at, is that exceptional that he's been able to get those stats this early and we're set to see them continue and then some? Or are we thinking they're inflated and there's a regression in line? What do you reckon? Oh, I honestly think it could go either way. Um, He really has the most potential in the comp nearly to really just go bananas. Um, if he can get fit, get his combinations going, then he's probably one of them really risky PODs, pods that you can take a crack at, crack at if you need to catch up points. The problem comes, he's in that hotly contested fullback position. If he was in the centres or something like that, I would 100% have a go at him. But you're going to have to leave someone out out of the big, big gun fullbacks to get him. I'm not saying don't do it, but... Look, it's it's risky, and you'd be banking your season on it. But look, if you if you need to catch up points, and he looks good when he returns, then he's a he's a potential guy. Scrap the next six to eight rounds and fast forward. Can Val mm. 
Adams threaten Teddy and Turbo as a genuine fullback option, or is he not in their class? I think he he can be in their class. Um, the thing about Tommy and Teddy, you know how good they are. You know what they're going to produce, but v- Valentine's potential is at their level, especially because he kicks goals and he plays in North Queensland in the dry and the warmth up there. Um, we saw what he did for the Sharks at the back end of last time he played. The Sharks were going very, very well, but look, the Cowboys have played some decent footy early on. He has the potential to be as good as Tommy and Teddy, but I'd back against it probably at this stage this year, um, even fast-forwarding 10 weeks. But as I said, if you want to take a flyer on him and you want to catch up points late in the year or back half of the year, then, you know, have a crack. Yeah, as impressive as he's been as far as, I mean, there's been a few chinks in him, a few things under the high ball, et cetera, but I don't think he's in the class of Teddy or Turbo. Also, I say I don't think he will get there. As you said, the key word's potential. He could get there, but I, I don't think he will. But, I mean, the key there is the fact that he's goal-kicking, <laughs> which Teddy and Turbo don't do. So, you know, there's an extra 10 points on his average that they don't have. So that's a big factor, but I'm going to say no. Essan Masters went nuts in round one, regressed a little bit in round two. He's averaging 62 points, had a base of 45 in round one, and then 29 in round two. 45 is just off the charts for a centre. Like, ridiculous. Break even of 24, so a bit of money to be made there likely. His stats in round one had 23 runs, five offloads, and was busting tackles for fun. Um, how high well, – sorry, do you see SR Masters being a top four centre wing end of season? I absolutely do. Um, I haven't necessarily ranked my centres just yet, but he's a guy I could potentially bring in for round three. I'm going to bring in one centre for Braden Burns at this stage. And he's right in the mix to be that man. G looks good. Morgan likes giving him some early ball, which is the key to everything for him. Because that leads to tackle bus, line breaks, uh, line break assists, offloads, all these things that he didn't really get last year at the Tigers because he wasn't seeing much footy. Man, it's it's a shame it's been only two weeks because you're not quite sure if it's going to continue. But I don't see any reason why he wouldn't keep getting that service out there nice and early in the centres. So he could well be in my side for round three. Yeah, I- I think he will be top four centre wings by end of season, but he is a guy that I'm going to be waiting on because it's got a touch of 2019 about he went nuts in 2018. I think he was pretty close. I think he might have been the top averaging centre wing outside of maybe Luttrell. Um, And then last season started on fire. I brought him in like a lot of other coaches because he was the man to have. And then even while still kicking a few goals, he lost them at some point, but even while kicking, he just – went bust and I don't know if it was because he wasn't getting enough quality ball at the Tigers, but he hit the skid. So I've got a bit of a way that that may happen again, particularly after his round two, which wasn't anything too substantial. Um, so I'll be waiting on SR. Oh, ben Hampton, 237K, averaging 55 points, 25 base, which is okay for Hampton, who traditionally hasn't been that high. Break even, negative 37. Huge money to be made on the end of that back line. I mean, how seriously are you thinking about Ben Hampton for round three? I'm a bit frustrated because I almost stuck him in on the bench to start round one. Um, I didn't. So if you did do that, congratulations, and you'd be absolutely stoked. I think at this stage, he's a risky purchase. The reason I say that is he's got low scores in him. Um, I think his base may not even stay that high potentially. So he's got plenty of 20 scores in him without tries. Uh, but in saying that, if he keeps bagging a couple of tries over the next few weeks, his money is going to go through the roof. So he he's right in the conversation for me to come into my side just to make a 
quick cash grab, hopefully scores a couple of four-pointers in the coming weeks, and then trade him on as soon as as soon as soon he peaks or gets up to that range. Um, but as I said, the risk there is if he scores a couple of 20s, you've burned a trade and made next to nothing. So just a big decision to make there, mate, um, coming up to round three. Yeah, and Val Holmes is looking electric, chiming into that, that back line, particularly in attacking scenarios which is just massive for Hampton, who could score some easy tries off the back of how many blokes Val has been skinning there. So definitely an option for me. Um, and that's it. Like, with the, again, with the reduced season, these quick cash grabs, which I haven't been a fan of in the past, I just I don't like them because they can go wrong so easily if a player with a massive negative break even gets a 20 or a 25 and flops. But... With less games, I think the quick cash grabs are going to be very valuable and be like season-changing decisions rather than these slow-burning cash cows who we know will make coin, but it takes eight to ten weeks. So big one there. That's a very good point, actually. That's that's something I hadn't thought of, and, yeah, it's a really good point, mate. I mean, and another one in that bank is if he – there is no John Bateman, Emre Gula, um, a guy, again, I, I said I, I think he's probably a trap, but – you know, if you can get another two games of decent minutes without a John Bateman, then, you Easy know. money. Yeah. Um, Scotty Drinkwater, 360K, averaging 72 points. He's another example of it. Break even, negative 34. <clears throat> Only 21 in base, which isn't great, but, you know, he's a 5'8", so not a huge issue. Um, <laughs> is he a guy you're considering? Yeah, he's, um, he's bloody exciting. I love watching him play footy. Um, congratulations again if you started with him because he's been on fire early. I was very tempted to start the year, but I ended up going against him. Um, I'd probably like to see the revised draw before bringing him in um, just to see who he plays in those three, four, five rounds. Um, but, yeah, he, he's on the watch list, and it just depends on the balance of my side. I'd have to upgrade someone and then do some money elsewhere. So I don't know if I'll be able to bring him in, but I wouldn't be against anyone who wanted to do so because he's looked really good. He's involved. He's a talented guy. Even if he's got mistakes in him, there's a lot of super coach potential there. And as you alluded to before, quick money could be on the offering, which could be vital. Yeah, I, I wouldn't begrudge anyone who wanted to, if they do have a half who struggled early in the season. Uh, my halves hit the ground running pretty well and I'm very happy with him. So there'd be no room for him for me, but... Yeah, if you do need to upgrade or potentially downgrade someone, not a bad option for that cash grab. A guy who I was so tempted by in preseason, but there were too many question marks around, is Cohen Hess, 354K. He's averaging 58 with the break-even of negative seven. He had 48 base in round two. Uh, he's averaging only 8.5 runs per game, which is a huge issue, but he's been tackling like an absolute animal. Any interest in Cohen Hess? I just I find it hard to want to buy Cohen. I know the potential's there, and we've seen him do it before. But mate, he's a no from me. That's just the short answer. Yeah, right. Um, I'm tempted by him, and especially we, we spoke about these big pods. I don't think there'll be a lot of people who will jump on. I think there'll be people who'll be tempted to, but if he's playing 80 minutes with his ability to jag, jag tries, I, I quite like him and. I mean, it's a bit of a risk, but he's also 350k with a negative break even, so I don't see too much there. And yeah, he's, he's a guy who I'll be really looking at. Um, 
I mean, we yeah, don't even... just to clarify there. I'm certainly not against anyone taking him. He's just he's not going to be my side. I just for whatever reason, I just don't really like him. <laughs> yeah, it'd be lovely if he was um, Jules second row front row. And we could get him in the front row. That'd be unreal. But any value in the back row, which makes it tough with all those options there. Um, we'll touch on him very briefly because we know what he's done. He I think he got 99 or so in the second round. But Jason Tamalola averaging 85. Break even 52, so he's going to probably make a bit of clean, or he definitely will. Uh, but most importantly, averaging 73 minutes per game. What do you reckon? Yeah, he's – I think like yourself, I started the year without him, really hoping that he'd just average 70-odd uh, for the opening five or six weeks, and then I'd be able to bring him in at a discount. Unfortunately, he crashed over for a try in round two, which bumped his average up. Um Without that try, though, he would be around the 70 mark. So the logic's there that he may be able to reduce in price. The problem, as you said, has been he's been playing quite big minutes. And with the reduced season, there's no reason to really rest him too much. So he's probably number one on my to bring in list. I started with Jackie Williams, who's been a bit of a letdown in Supercoach realms. And if I were to upgrade Jack to Jason Tamalolo, that's a huge upgrade to my side. And then I still have the option then to go Burns to any center that I want. So they're probably my two trades leading into the next round, uh, unless I opt to go someone like Ryan Madison at 100k cheaper, which is on the radar as well. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think the fact that it's a shortened season, I think he continues to play big minutes and won't be eased as much um, as he would have been if it was the full 25 rounds. Onto the Bulldogs, who were gritty in round one against the Eels and then got belted in round two. Brandon Wakeham, you're not an owner, but if you were at 277k, he is kicking goals, averaging 29 points, break even of 27. Would you be selling or holding? I've got in my notes here that you probably just want to hold on. He's got a reasonable base and he's kicking goals, but then we go back to Scotty Drinkwater. It's probably not that much money to go up to Scotty. So if you've got the option to do that, you probably want to look into it. But I don't think Waitman's going to be horrible, but at the same time, maybe a bit of a slow burn. Um, he's with a dogged Bulls, Bulldog side, and he'll work hard and accumulate some good base stats. But I just don't really know where the attack comes from unless he can crash over from, for some close-range tries because he's a strong bugger. Yeah, the dogs will bust their ass and... and... Worked themselves to a standstill under Dean Pay again this year, as they that we've seen in the last couple of years. But they just don't have the talent to accumulate points for mine. So if I had Wakeham, I'd be looking to move on to George Williams, Jerome Luai, um, yeah, potentially Scott Drinkwater, someone like that. Will Hopper Wade averaging 43 points per game, which isn't crash hot, but he's still averaging 36 in base. He's just if he was playing in a good team. He would be exceptional. He's averaged 59 the last two years. He just flies under the radar every season. Do you see him being a keeper by the end of the year, or is it just that same issue of the dogs don't have the attack? But we've seen that in the last two years, and he's still been top few averaging centre wings. Yeah, what depends where he plays. He's played a lot of fullback as well, which leads to a lot of runs and some extra offloads potentially. Um, he's the kind of guy that could just be rock solid as you said, he's averaged high 50s the last couple of seasons. Um, there's far, far worse guys to have in your centres. But I think we just 
for the enjoyment of Supercoach, and we we sort of want to look at chasing that upside man new. I know we've spoken about it before, blokes that can knock out the big tons with scoring hat-tricks and doubles and all the rest, but I certainly don't begrudge anyone that wants to lock in Will Hoppawati because he's just rock-solid, Mr. Consistency, but he'll be probably a pass for me and maybe just outside the top four at the end of the year, depending on what position he ends up playing for the Doggies. Yeah, fair shout. Um, I'm going to make I'll make a big-ish call, considering he only played a couple of games, two games at fullback last year. But I think probably not on resumption, but a few rounds into the comp, when they're going to realise that they're still not scoring points, I think Dallin Wittenis Lesniak gets moved to the wing. I think Hopper goes back to fullback. Because Dallin's been decent at fullback so far, but he just doesn't have any. There's no playmaking about him, which I don't. You, I don't. Don't think it. You cannot have that in the current day fullback role. You have to be able to create, particularly in a dog side that struggles with creativity elsewhere. You know, maybe he could fit in at a Roosters or a Gun side where there's playmakers who do the job. But what halves like Lewis and Wakeman and these guys. You need a ball player at fullback, and you know, I think Hoppawade is that man. So I think Hopper goes back to fullback. When Completely they... agree. I think they, they need some creativity. Um, I don't even know if Hopper's the man, but he's probably their best option, to be honest, unless there's a young guy in the ranks I don't know about. But I just, again, where do they score points from? Something probably has to change, and I agree that Wateni um, Zalesniak really isn't the man for that side. And even, like, Dallin's... <clears throat> Getting sidetracked a little bit here, but that's all right. Dallin's biggest asset is his running game, and his kick return is exceptional. I mean, if you think a bit outside the square, if I'm a coach, I know there's a few logistical issues you can read into it a bit, but just let let Dallin defend at fullback so he gets those kick returns, and then when you're attacking in the opposition half, put Dallin on the wing, slot Hopper into fullback, and let him yeah, be got- the player. I don't see why teams... With that sort of setup, don't do it a little bit more often. I've got no issues with that. I've I've long thought about um, coaches potentially doing that, um, especially as you said for a dog side that just struggles for points. Like I can understand why the gun sides might not want to do it. They're already in the top four. They're pressing for a comp. You probably don't need to do anything as drastically, but mate, it makes sense. You're, you're splitting a role. It doesn't change continuity at all because you're still playing the same role in defence and attack. I don't see why you can't do that if, if you want to search for points somehow and find a way. Yeah, you heard it here first. Get the hop to fullback. <clears throat> uh, onto the Tigers, last side of the night, which there's stacks happening. David Nofaluma, 604K, averaging 84, break-even of 17, averaging 32 base per game, as he always does. Uh, in round one, he had four offloads, 21 runs, seven tackle bars, just absolutely elite numbers. Uh, how big a priority is an offer for you? And can he sustain it? Look, he's a gun. Um, I think he averaged mid-60s last year, which is outstanding, especially in a Tiger side that weren't scoring many points. Outside the Lay Lures, potentially he scores more tries than last season. My hope is that maybe he drops in price sooner rather than later. That ru- that 100 from the first round is going to roll out of his average um, in a week or two. And then if he could drop 50 or 80K, I think he's a great buy. Um, there's some risk involved if the Tigers stop playing or don't continue playing good footy. But with his base and his work rate and the potential outside BJ Lua. Yeah, I even half thought about bringing him in for round three as my next centre just to really take a flyer, but I'd probably just 
he's very expensive at the moment. I don't think I can do it, but well on the radar, mate. Yeah, looking at Noffa for me, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves, but I just, in, in the shortened season, we're not going to be able to get every gun in every position as we've been able to do come head-to-head finals in round 22, whatever it is, most years, 21. Um I need to get Tiam Lolo into my team. I need to get Teddy in there. I need to get Turbo in there. I need to get either Smith or Damien Cook in there, um, if not both. I can't justify forking out 600K for Noffa when these other guys are on the table first who are better supercoach players. I understand that Noffa solidifies the centre wing position, which is so hard and so unpredictable, but, you know, who in their right mind would be getting him ahead of any of those guys when the season resumes? Yeah, it's a good point. Um, as you said, though, you, can, you can look at it either way. You've got a rock-solid centre with massive upside when maybe the other guys in the other, other positions you can cover a little bit easier. On the flip side, you said he's so expensive. He's over $600,000. Who do you want to give up in another position to get him? It's a tough one. It's all about balance, but the potential is there, and I, I can see both arguments, to be honest. Yeah, I wouldn't be going there, and that's not a knock on Noffar, simply that I think there's too many other expensive guys that you'll need in your side. Joey Leilua, averaging 30, break-even 83. He's only averaging nine runs per game, which is it's not what you want from your recruit. I know he's been in high-scoring games. There's been a little bit limited opportunities, but not enough. Um, and he came out and said he was the best centre in the game after round one. In round two, it was one of the worst performances I've seen from a centre in a long time against the Knights. Uh, I mean, if you we don't own him. If you own Joey Leilu, would you be selling? Mate, first of all, he's an absolute pelican. That Everyone just go back and have a look at the tackle he tries to make for the last try that I think it was... Um, I don't know who it was for the Knights, but they crash over. He tries to put on a half-shoulder charge, clean misses, and he scores straight next to where BJ's defending. Uh, he's just... He's an absolute airhead. To say he's the best centre in the game, self-proclaimed, is absolutely laughable. But in saying that, from a super coach point of view, he hasn't been that bad. His base is reasonable because he offloads so much. If he can get fit and fired up under Madge, then I think he actually could be okay. I don't think he's, bad. he's as bad as some people think. But would I hold him? To be honest, I haven't looked into it enough because I don't own him. I'll leave that up to individual owners. But I just don't think he's that bad. And if he can get some attacking stats, he'll probably go okay if he can hold his spot in the side just not in real NRL because he just sucks. <laughs> yeah, and in the unpredictable centre-wing position, as long as he does hold his spot, he's around about 460k. <clears throat> we know what he can do. Um, hopefully he comes back fired up. Uh, he's pretty involved in the RLPA and a few of their things going on at the moment. But um, I'll be honest, from what we saw in, in round two, and I know it's only a one-game sample size, but under Madge McGuire, who is just tough as nails and, and, a, and a yeah, very very hard coach, uh, wouldn't see me get a little spell in reserve grade. Well, it won't be in reserve grade because there is no reserve grade. Uh, but if he continues that, he won't be in the top grade for much longer. So hopefully Joey bounces back. I'd love to see it because we know what he can do and he's one of the most exciting players in the game to watch and own in Supercoach if he does. So fingers crossed we see it, but I'm not confident. Um, just a quick just a quick shout-out to our Tigers fans listening. Um, it's been a tough two weeks with Joey. Um, I really hope you can give you something special once we return because, gee, it's tough to watch at times. Yeah. Um, Billy Walters, 201K. I'm an owner. 
the postponed season has hurt him probably more than just about anyone else in Supercoach because he's averaging 49, playing 80 minutes a game, negative 35 break even. Uh, but Harry Grant's now at the Tigers. Jacob Little won't be too far off for a return. Um, Luke Brooks will be back, which will push Josh Reynolds maybe to the bench. <laughs> oh, Billy Walters, he had a crack and he looked okay. His ball service was pretty ordinary for a hooker. Um I, I know it's hard to say, but do you see Billy Walters being there in round three? Well, I just I don't know if he can be. You've got the, the only way I see him playing is a split with Harry Grant. But even if he splits with him, he might only get forty minutes. What owners will want to hope is that they're going to ease Harry Grant in, maybe twenty thirty minutes off the bench. That'll allow Walters to keep playing potentially and make you some coin before moving him on. But my fear for owners is that he might only be playing 20 minutes off the bench. So you take that first price rise probably, if that's the case, then moving on. But we'll, we'll know all come team lists for round three. Yeah, just pray we can get 30, maybe 40 minutes, probably a bit optimistic. Even 30 minutes for a couple of weeks to get those price rises will be golden. Um, I'm not confident we will. I think it could be yeah, maybe a 60-20 split with Grant early on at best. But we'll wait and see. Hopefully that is Grant yeah. He hasn't had time to train with them. He'll only get about three weeks to train with them. So, anyway, we'll see how that pans out. Uh, Alex Tawal, we've spoken about him a little bit in the last few weeks. 492K. We won't go on with him for too long because we, we've spoke, spoken about him in length, actually. Averaging 75 points, 67 base per game, 1.26 points per minute. Absolutely enormous. Minutes of 53 and 66, which is a little bit hard to get a gauge on. If he was playing 66 minutes a game, he'd be definitely in teams. 53 minutes, maybe not so much. Uh, what do you reckon? Yeah, as you said, we've spoken about it already, so we won't be long, but it all comes down to minutes. Um, he averaged around 54 last year and averaged about 54 um, points as a result in Supercoach. So if he can bump his minutes up to 60-plus, then absolutely he's worth a crack. Um what I would say for prospective owners is that if you do have a crack at him, he's not going to hurt you too badly. He'll still, at worst case, probably average mid-50s, and then you can move him on if you need to, um, with the upside of a 60-plus average if things get enhanced for him there. Yeah, sure. Um, Luciano Leilua is another guy we've touched on a little bit, so he won't dwell for too long, but averaging 72 points, 47 base per game, which is pretty impressive. Uh, Break-even negative 11 he scored two tries, so you could you could say his scores have been inflated, but I think he's that potent in attack. And when he's playing 80 minutes, I think attacking stats are going to come. He also hasn't offloaded yet, which is remarkable, whether or not that's just the way the games have panned out or whether he's been given a directive by Madge, I'm not sure. But do you see the Luch being a keeper or not? I'm hopeful. Um, I own him. He started well. As you said, he'll he'll tend to create attacking stats. They might be different ones every game, but you hope they're going to come. And I didn't realise he had an offload at all. That's really good news because I think they'll have to start coming the offloads. Tigers just to create a bit of extra space for the rest of their guys. Um, happy with him at the moment, and I'll just ride him until the wheels fall off. Or if he turns into a keeper, then you be- you beauty. Yeah, he's in that Jimmy Army kick-out mould a little bit. Yeah. As long as he keeps playing 80 minutes, he, you know, he might, he could very likely finish the averaging 65 points with, you know, a mid to late 40s base where he has five tons to his name, but he also has five scores of 40-odd to his name. 
So he's not your, your dry arrow or your town low or these guys who bust out consistent big scores, but their their ceiling is so high that the average adjusts itself to be around the guns. I do see him probably being a little bit below the elite three or four back rowers, but, you know, he's 72 averaging first two games. So at a new club, uh, looking the goods there. Uh, last one at the Tigers, Zane Musgrove, averaging 26 points in 30 minutes per game, which isn't too bad minutes-wise, less than we'd hoped for. Break even 10. Do you see an increase in minutes coming or not? From what we've heard, they're very high on Musgrove, so I'm hopeful there are those minutes coming. The question is when. Um, look, I'm half a mind to turn him into Emre Gula, pending on Johnny Bateman's status, because Gula can make that really quick 100K for me which could be really important going forward. But if I want to do that, I'm going to have to let go one of my trades I've got penciled in for the next round. So a really big decision to make around Zane Musgrove because I think he looked really good in round one um, and just couldn't get the minutes, but he looked quite damaging and likely to potentially even score a four-pointer. So I'm a little bit torn on what to do there. What do you think? Yeah, look, I'll be, I'll certainly be holding because there is a bit of money to be made. I do see him increasing his game time to around 40 minutes. I don't know if I'll say minimum, but I can see him playing more than 40 in time. But, again, we keep dwelling on this reduced season and slow-burning cash cow versus cash grab like like Gula. Um, you know, sometimes you've got to make the hard decisions and say, I can't afford to let Musgrove sit there and earn 150k over 10 weeks. It's not enough. So, you know, it'll be really interesting to see how many trades we're given uh, when things are abbreviated and, and how they go about impacting the game because that'll be massive and we'll have a good chat about it in length when we, we do get them. But, yeah, I mean, as far as Musgrove goes, I'd be holding for now, but, you know, he could easily be turned into someone else in the next two or three weeks, Max. The question here from Chris Warmer to wrap things up, do I trade Blake Braley up to Coruscant? I've had a look at the money-making potential of both, and I think long-term they will make similar coin. I'm currently ranked 2,688, jealous, so keen to hear your thoughts on this. You've got the same issue, yeah? Or you already you already bit the bullet, didn't you? You ain't cooked in no. there. Yeah, I bit the bullet last week, so I've got Appy in now. Um, it's a little bit hard to answer. I just want to know who, who his other hooker would be at this stage. Um it really depends who that is. I'm assuming maybe he's got Cam Smith or one of the other guys. But, oh, gee, it's a good question. Appy scores, I think, probably a def or they're definitely inflated. He's not going to keep averaging 86, but he's pretty cheap. He's locked into a starting role and he's got good attacking stats. The thing I like about upgrading Braley to Coruscant is that you can play Coruscant as a reserve and have a pretty dynamic sort of guy on your bench there. Um, conversely, you're using a trade for someone that might make similar cash, but it sounds like our mate's all over it. He's already done the cash protections. He's coming 2,000. So I'd say probably just back yourself, mate, on what you want to do. But the scoring potential of Coruscant is huge, and he's going to make quick cash. So you obviously don't want to miss the boat there. So it might be something you have to do. Yeah, you've nailed it on the head. I'd be doing it for sure. Again, this is based on the question. We don't know who his other hooker is, but you mean – Braley will make some money and he's a he's a hard trade, but you've just nailed it. Coruscant, you're paying, what, 150-odd K, but you're getting a bloke with that massive upside that we've seen in the first two weeks who can hopefully continue scoring 50, 60-plus points with that big upside. I'd be getting up into my team and you know, biting the bullet and making that trade. Um, Spy, good session tonight, mate. 
not not bad for you after a bit of a, a one week spell we had there. Yeah, man, I was, felt felt I was a bit rusty. I didn't um, give enough definite answers for the listeners, but I'll be back in form next week after the blowout, mate. Sweet, mate. And yeah, now that we have that May twenty eighth date to work with, we can get a little bit more clarification on things, get the draw, get the origin draw, and work things out. Heaps to talk about the next few weeks. As I said, we've got uh, Walson and Des who are doing their recap in the next uh, week or two, which will be vital listening for every all super coaches out there. So cheers for listening, guys.